Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself, you can connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's ready to get this losing monkey off his back, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Yeah, I mean, look, we're going to preview uh, a team this week that, you know, if they somehow find a way to get a lead for the fourth time and then lose it, that's just straight straight bananas and i might just start throwing feces around my living room um i i, I don't know <laughs> gerald I, I uh uh you know we might just monkey around and win this thing i don't know uh, we'll, we'll talk about it we'll get into it a little bit i'm curious george if um <laughs> texas really be able to sustain the offense through this game because this is the only way that they're going to win but we're not here to make bad monkey puns we're here to talk about Iowa State and, well, the state of the Texas football program. So Texas is staring down the teeth of 4-4 four and four and potentially looking at a losing record depending on how this game shakes out. Going into the game, Iowa State 5-3 and three on the year. They had a, had a squeaky one against Northern Iowa to open the year. Then they lost to in-state rival Iowa who just... Again, they were on a different level. They were on a cloud nine uh, early in the season. They blew out UNLV, lost to Baylor close. We don't know anything about that. Blasted KU, and, and that was, that's what the start of Brocktober, right? 59-7 to against Kansas, 33-20 to against Kansas State, a 24-21 to win over Oklahoma State, and then a 38-31 to uh, last-second heartbreaker against West Virginia. So... But Brocktober is over, and so hopefully, maybe, they could come down to Earth. I like getting them in November, slow November, slow November, and not Brocktober. But, you know, their offense, they're, they're a really good team. They're a weird team, kind of like Texas, where a lot of the advanced stats think Texas and, and Iowa State, both of them are like a top 15, top 20 team, but they've just had some weird bad luck on the field. So Kyle, it's, it's really hard for me to feel confident about this game, which again, after maybe three games of feeling confident and coming away, very, very upset. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Last one. Let's see if this team can get the monkey off their back. We're done. Um, it, you know, it, it is Brocktober, right? We, the, you cannot compare this to the team that, that barely beat Northern Iowa or, or the team that lost to Iowa by playing into Iowa's hand of, of shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly. Um, you know, this is a team that also lost a game to Baylor that was purely a special teams win. Again, they outperformed Baylor in every facet of the game except specifically special teams. So there is a script that if both of these teams are who they have been and enough of the season has gone by that we should know it, that if it plays out to that script, that this could be a close, a close game. Um, I think the only team in the country uh, that's anywhere near Texas in in one possession games over the past five years, I think Iowa State has had two less, uh, but they are right behind Texas. Uh, No one else is particularly close. So there's a good chance that this one won't be a blowout either way. We know what these teams uh, kind of are. Again, their one blowout win or two blowout wins are UNLV and and Kansas. Everything else is, is one possession or a 13-point win against K-State, uh, I guess a 10-point loss to Iowa. But, uh, you know, the margin of error would really tell you that this this probably the way that they have played uh, will be a close one. Even when, you know, they were in theory the better team and Texas lost last year, uh, Texas should have won that game. And so this is a game that it doesn't always matter who plays the best through a couple quarters. And, and trust me, I know Texas fans won't, won't, won't <laughs> want to hear that. that after the past couple of weeks, but, but historically this game is not about who comes out and just dominates for four quarters, but kind of who rises up and makes key plays and key moments. And, and even if it's against the run of play to use a soccer term, you know, who, who takes advantage of, of kind of key plays. And, and this is also not one that, that 
I think Iowa State, because of the weather and, and their anger from the last game in a, in a home game, will we'll have an advantage there. But uh, maybe Texas needed some, some you know, the eyes of Texas are ape on you. Uh, you know, they, they needed a little laugh, a little distraction from football, something to, to reset, you know, what, what has been... As Gerald and I said, probably more between the ears or in the chest uh, than than performance on the field because you've seen their ability to do it. So maybe that can serve as some kind of reset. I don't know. Either way, I think this one will probably be close, and I think Texas will need to play a really good game uh, to get out of Ames. Again, a difficult place to travel to, a difficult place to to play with some jacked up local fans who will be desperate uh, to give the home field advantage and to raz the Longhorns, but uh, I, I think it is. I think it is on the table. They'll just need to go out and, and carpe the DM. This is always, at least in my estimation, like a war of attrition. That's what these two teams, or at least that's what Iowa State wants to do. Is they want to play a war of attrition. They want to play their pace. They want to play their style of game. They want to, you know, beat beat on you with with Brees Hall, and then they want to hit their one of seven tight ends for a chunk play. And that's what Iowa State wants to do. They're going to use Brees Hall, who is one of the best running backs in the country. I mean, I think this is going to be another uh, matchup of elite running backs. We saw it a couple weeks back with with Zach Evans and B. John Robinson, uh, and we'll see it again. It's weird that the Big 12 has become like this running back league where Kennedy Brooks is doing really well. We we saw, we all know what happened against Baylor uh, the other day. So uh, it's just weird that this is a uh, turned into a running back league, which I'm fine with. I like running backs. I'm a running back guy. Uh, But... Let's start with the offense on Iowa State. They are again a really good, really efficient offense. They're number eleventh in the con- number eleven in the country in offensive efficiency. Uh, Texas comes at number fifteen, so not a ton of separation there. Twenty eighth in points per drive with two point eight, which again. Not a low clip, but not a high clip. It's relatively high, and and it's their defense is also giving up some a pretty high clip at a, a points per drive. So this is a team that will give up some points, and now that is probably buoyed by you know like a, a couple of the thirty point games in there, um, and their you know their defensive numbers dragged down by Kansas and well UNLV, but that's another conversation for the second half of the show. Twelfth uh, in the country in uh, yards per play with six point eight five, and really they get it done. On the ground, primarily, Brees Hall is the workhorse. He's got 179 rushes for 985. He's got a five and a half per carry clip, 12 touchdowns on the year. Doing really well. He's had five good games, and he's had a couple of tough games. I think he struggled against the two best defenses he played, and then you and I, uh, not <laughs> not Kyle and I, but <laughs> University of Northern Iowa. He had he got off against Baylor though, which is something that Texas was unable to do. He went for one ninety and two against the Bears, which is just a huge game for him. So they're a good running team. They're a good they're mm-hmm. a good football team, and so their offense, if they can get out of their own way, is going to play really well and keep them in games you can take it to the the bank Brees hall even in his bad games gets a touchdown right 20 some odd games like 23 the the current streak of games with a touchdown the guy knows how to get in even even you know when it's not his 150 plus yard uh performance Uh, i think they have a, a pretty good offensive line they have an experienced offensive line at least um they they lost against West Virginia their their fullback which again very important position for for an offense like theirs uh, very early on in the game uh, but but you know they were able to kind of scheme it a little bit and he still ran for 167 uh, and looks like he just really gashed that team he did have a fumble at the goal line that basically lost them the game which is which is tough uh, key fumbles lost both against Iowa and against West Virginia uh, in in opposite red zones but for Iowa lost it on the opposition goal line which they were able to pick up and walk in and in West Virginia when they were trying to um tie the game or I think go up at that point uh when, when it was like a, a 31 all game um so crucial fumbles but I, I don't know that you know we should necessarily bank on Texas getting a uh a multiple fumble game from Breeze but if we get one Sark commented on it um that against Baylor and this season in general, it just seems like we never were able to capitalize uh, in his rewind on LHN, I should say, never able to capitalize on 
getting our hands on the ball. We had two interceptions. We, we tried to take away the, the short outside passing and funnel it to the middle where we had two interceptions. Uh, but there were multiple tip passes where we just didn't get it. There were there were balls on the ground that we just didn't recover. Um, there was obviously on the offensive side of the ball, which you know we, we talked about in our recap, but, but multiple times when we did uh, have the ball in our hands and then gave it to them either in a fumble or an interception or, or some drops. So it just felt like the ball was – there wasn't a stickiness to the ball for Texas players, and there really hasn't been – this year on the on the defensive side where we've been able to get a bunch of fumble recovery so maybe uh, i think nine fumbles this year for the iowa state offense only three loss so maybe we can buck that trend uh this week a bit but i think you know Brees Hall gashed West Virginia. He, he had a lot of the the what Texas defense has seen. Uh, <clears throat> West Virginia does have a, a really good front. We anticipated that to be the strength of this team, and it was interesting to see him gash for seven, eight, nine, twelve yards through uh, with just kind of these uh, straight up dives or sprints where he was ahead of steam and and you know just just broke through a line untouched, which again is unthinkable as a Texas fan watching that, but. Um, he is good. He's very talented. They give him the ball. We talked about Bijan's usage against TCU. I mean, Bijan has 24 carries, 30 carries, 27 carries. Uh, even in his bad game against UNI at 23 carries. I mean, he's going to get the ball 20 times at least. He will probably get 100-some-odd yards with that. Um, could be a lot higher depending on how the Texas box shows up, the front six or seven shows up to stop that. But it'll be kind of everything else, right? If you say kind of like they – tried to do with Baylor if you say okay let's make Brock it's now you know close shave November uh let's make Brock beat us out of Brocktober um then I you know don't give up 300 yards rushing to Brees Hall but but let him kind of be one phase of the game and try to take away the other as as uh you know teams have done uh in the in the past to some success so I I think you're not going to stop Brees he is one of the probably five seven best running backs in the country right now he's he's on a short list so um it is kind of a matter of containing if you can sure get some get some good on on first downs and on third down some key run stops to, to take them out of their game plan where you can get them behind the chains um huge thing to watch in this game is first down plays where where they get second and third to go and and how that will dictate Iowa State's offense I mean we saw it against Baylor where if the Texas defense can get you behind the chains they're able to get off the field and if they can get you in a in a second and a long and a third and medium to long they're going to be able to make some plays and we saw that that is that is what they did in that in kind of that stretch where they played really well in the second quarter uh, against Baylor and, and the offense couldn't really reward them for that and so I don't know if the running backs for Baylor are on the caliber of player that Brees Hall is. I don't know if Baylor's offensive line is as good as Iowa State's. I think Baylor's offensive line is better than Iowa State's offensive line. I think it's a wash because Brees is a better running back than either of those two, but I think Baylor's offensive line, from what we have in a sample size so far this season, is one of the best in the Big 12, if not maybe the best, which is crazy to say. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I I, I think for – I mean, the game, the game plan for Iowa State has to be really, really simple, right? It's like run Brees Hall and prove that that Texas can stop you. And that's got to be their game plan. And if they can, then it, like you mentioned, it goes on the shoulders of Brock Purdy, who started off slow, but once again has has done the, the Brocktober thing. Um, you know, he's had... He's had a, he had a bad game against Iowa as part of the reason why uh, they lost that game. He got benched. He threw three interceptions. But, you know, he's he's he broke 250 in two of the last three games, I think it was, but Baylor, Oklahoma State. Uh, and then he also hit it against UNLV where they all went off. But uh, hitting on 71% of his passes, about to touch 2,000 yards, will hit it in this game unless he doesn't play. 13-4 uh, to four touchdown interception ratio. You know, he's got a he's, – he's – a solid quarterback, and there's a reason why he's been what feels like a seven-year starter for Iowa State. And the guy he goes to most often is going to be wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson, who has a 23% usage rate compared to the next highest one on the team is 11, which is Charlie Kohler, the tight end. So those are going to be the two primary passing threats you're going to see. Kohler is the third down and red zone guy, and then you're going to see Xavier Hutchinson kind of in the you know between the 40s uh, making plays for Iowa State. And again, they have a formula. They Run, 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 play action pass. Throw it to the tight end. Try to get a chunk. Try to get uh, Hutchinson open for seven yards and get a chunk play. And, and again, that's an effective game plan, but if you can get them off schedule, hopefully that's a situation where um, you put Brock – 
you know, make it, make him play uh, from behind and see if he can generate offense for them. Yeah, Texas has done a weirdly good job this year, and, and I guess a lot of that goes to Josh Thompson of taking away wide receiver number ones. You know, they did it against EZE in Texas Tech. They they did it um, to some extent against Tay Barber with Oklahoma State. I think he did it a bit more to himself. Um, you know, they, they took away Tyquan Thornton in, 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 with Baylor, so it has been in the passing game the other guys stepping up, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues because, like you said, Xavier Hutchinson is the absolute number one target. Uh, a big guy who's, who plays out on the outside because of the attention that Brees Hall draws. He gets a lot of one-on-one uh, coverages from defenses uh, with, with teams choosing to stack. The, not every team puts two safeties no matter what, uh, but choosing to stack the box to try to take away Brees. He gets a lot of one-on-ones. Uh, Tariq Milton is a guy who has some speed. He doesn't catch a ton of balls. 13 catches, but for 214 yards. And then, you know, like you mentioned, Charlie Kohler is a hard guy to dislike. He's 6'7". Kid from Norman who chose not to go to OU. I like that. Um, <laughs> he's a uh, in my book. Absolutely. He's an academic Heisman finalist somehow. Uh, I think that was announced this week. Uh, again, a kid from Norman just, you know, Think about the odds he had to overcome to uh, to get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then Chase Allen, another tight end with, with 12 catches, and that's really who they throw to, except, again, Brees Hall, who's third on the team in receptions with 26. Not a ton of yardage, but he is he is a check down safety valve. If if the, the big play or the, the outside play to Xavier Hutchinson isn't there after the play action, the check down to one of the tight ends or Brees Hall is where Purdy is looking. And that's how Purdy can have – Games that sound like they're straight out of, you know, a, a 1960s, uh, you know, stat box of 20 for 22 for 200 yards. You know, that is that is absolutely a game that Brees or excuse me, that, that uh, Brock Purdy had in October during the, 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 the best part of his season. So he is just going to be the guy who who takes what you give him, who, you know, will try to scramble a little bit, you know, but but sometimes when he tries to get too creative to be too much of a playmaker, that's when bad Brock shows up that's when you know he, he throws the ball uh and, and gives up interceptions and so it'll be interesting to see what Texas can do there because again as I said the running game and with Texas's run defense so far through eight games with a large enough sample size is not the place that Texas wins this football game to me it's how they control the passing game can they stop third down conversions right Iowa State is great um on, on third downs and specifically in certain games that they've won that have been close games it's been because they've had one or two drives that just extended with four third down completion or conversions on there you know they um they they string them together in key moments and so a lot of that is yeah Charlie Collier or, or, or Brees Hall going to their A players and so can Texas do like they did in the second quarter against Baylor and get multiple three and outs can they can they force punts can they get fourth down stops if it's a fourth and one and and you know they choose to go with good blockers and and Brees Hall you know can they can Texas rise again I think it's going to be uh like I talked about how you get on first down and get them off of their script make Brees Hall not have you know second and sixes all, all day so third and third and fours or you know he's going to try to run for that and, and has a good likelihood of doing it so can they make Brock Purdy beat them and and look Brock Purdy also has 200 yards what uh some odd 205 yards rushing on 54 carries you know he's not the most dangerous runner but he's he's not absent back there either so you know just watch that as well but I really think what he can do with his arm will will probably make or break this game for Texas for Pete Kwiatkowski. I think the, the question for the defense, for the philosophy is like, can you slow down Brees Hall enough to put Brock Purdy in that situation? Can you slow down the run game or are you going to just play back and give them six yards per run? Are you, cause they're, you know, they're in the, in the run game. Iowa state is already generating three, three, almost 3.2 yards on their offensive line alone. Like the offensive line is creating more than three yards per rush, and if you give you know if you give Brees Hall a head of steam or put him one on one with somebody, that's a that's a that's probably a 70-30 matchup for Brees Hall. They've got they're actually on the, one of the higher teams in the country. They're hitting like two open field yards per carry. So that's going to be the question. Is and we again. Baylor's running back called them out on it that playing the two high safeties means we're just going to eat you up on the ground. And that terrifies me in this matchup because 
if they can feed Brees Hall, and if Brees Hall has another 150, 160, 190 games, he's had two of those this year, like Texas is going to lose this thing in dramatic and honestly in really slow bleed, like end of the English patient fashion. That is one thing to talk about when we talk about this offense and honestly the defense. Everything that, that Iowa State does is to try to slow the game down. We talked about Mike Gundy wanting to do that against Texas and saying he didn't want to get in a shootout with Texas and he effectively did that. You're going to see a pretty similar script and game plan from Matt Campbell in this one. He wants to slow it down. They're going to put multiple tight ends. They're going to let the play clock drain a bit. They might go tempo in certain situations, but for the most part, they're going to try to give the least amount of plays to a Texas uh, offense that even though it's struggled at times and at moments, they haven't had a game again since Casey took over in Arkansas where for four quarters they struggled, right? The, the, the potential is always there, and that has to terrify a coach that at any time Xavier Worthy can run past your guys, that at any time <laughs> yeah. one, one of the three best running backs in college football, even without a line, all he needs is, is you know to break a tackle or two and then can find space, can make a cut back across the field and do a Reggie Bush thing, right? And so that has to terrify a coach, and so any coach – worth his salt when game planning is going to say let's let's slow this down let's keep the ball out of that offense's hands where we can they they have to feel pretty good about their prospects against texas defense but they're still going to go that's why their their numbers are interesting because they're efficient but they're also slow and methodical so their yardage isn't gaudy yeah, and again, that's Matt Campbell. That is what Matt Campbell has done since day one, right? It's like, we're, we're not going to win. I mean, and again, that's a lot of personnel, and he's doing what really he's done every year. He's doing what Mike Gundy did this year is, I don't I don't have the horses to win a shootout, but I can, I can get them coached up, and I can have them play really sound, really physical, really fundamental football and win a ground war, win a war of attrition. And that's what they're going to do on offense. And so the question, again, is can Texas slow down the run game and keep the Iowa State offense from doing what they want to do? So defensively, Iowa State is exceedingly average, is I think the right way to say it. Um, they're number 36 in the country uh, in defensive efficiency, number 37 in points per drive, giving up 1.87 per drive, giving up 5.1 yards per play, number 26 in the country. Um, their run defense is, again, exceedingly average. They're giving up about their power run plays against them, which are run plays of three yards or shorter, are successful like 74% of the time. They've only got an 18% stuff rate, which is low. They're giving up almost three line yards per rush. Um, the one place where they do excel is you may get that first initial bump, but they're not going to give you much after that. They're giving up less than a yard at the second level and just 0. 0.6 open field yards per rush, which is exceedingly low. So again, this is what the Iowa State team is going to do is they're going to limit your ability to stay on schedule. They're going to put you in second and long, third and mediums, and then they're going to key off on the pass, which is what they really like to do. And so can Texas do what they haven't been able to do, or at least they weren't able to do against Baylor, and that's pound the rock and really get Bijan involved early and often? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and again, the the uh, if you look at that's where Gerald bringing the advanced stats is really helpful because if you just look at bulk numbers, they are you know pretty decent in stats, but that's because their defense gets fewer snaps out there than, than the majority of defenses because their offense again is slowing things down. Gerald uh, said it before the break, but you know something along the lines that made me think of never fight a land war in, in Asia. Now we're going to add that to never fight a, uh, a ground war in, in Iowa. Um, you know, you would think you don't, you don't want to get in a running back runoff with uh, an Iowa team that goes slow and has Brees Hall, but Texas is one of the few teams equipped to do it. Right. And I, I would like this to be a Bijan bounce back game. If you like Texas's two high safeties, you'll love, uh, uh, he cocks three high safeties, uh, though they do use them a bit more creatively and interestingly, and it basically becomes like a roving linebacker. But, um, you know, that was his kind of answer to stop the the proliferation of the Big 12 spread a few over the past few years. So it's not you know the only thing they run, but it is interesting that they use that to, to go to plumb. And if you remember Jalen Catalan, we talked a lot about how he came downhill for that Arkansas defense to make plays uh, as a safety who was back, but who just, you know, went screaming with his hair on fire downhill on run plays and on, on short outside pass plays, you'll see similar things from the Iowa State safeties. And really, Iowa State kind of pioneered that across college football. So um, we have at times come in and played Iowa and stole the things that they do and then done it with better yeah. athletes. And, and yeah. you know, not always – 
more successfully than them but oftentimes you know when we've had a lot of our great success we we have admittedly gone and stolen from their very good defensive coordinator but that said Gerald put the stat that they're giving up initial runs but then they shut you down and that's good safety play and even better linebacker play right and uh Mike Rose is when you know was a preseason all-american I believe preseason all big 12 a player who missed his first game of his career I think something like 45 straight games against West Virginia and you saw West Virginia offense just demolish them I mean that that was by exponents, uh, their their most points, most yards, most everything that an offense has done to them. And we talked earlier on this podcast about how West Virginia's offense ain't great. So, you know, I, I think there's multiple things at play there, but, but one of them is Mike Rose out. Now, of course, with Texas' luck, he's questionable, but will probably suit up and play on Saturday, uh, which is a big boon for that defense. But um, Jake Hummel's also a good linebacker. Uh, Greg Eisworth is that safety who plays back, but kind of comes up uh, to be almost another linebacker. So they, they have some guys who play in that that second level uh who, who are really good and really good at, at sure tackling when they get their hands on you getting the guy down mike rose is also great in coverage from the linebacker spot like a brocker meyer who you know uh can tackle a little better and, and has a little is, is even more of a leader and communicator and a little more situational kind of uh awareness out there so it's probably a pretty decent comp as a, as a brocker meyer plus a few and that's no shots at it Mr. Brockmeyer, who's who's really you know done pretty good for Texas, uh, especially given where he started. But but Mike Rose is you know I think last year was a second team All American and a preseason All American. This year is is a legit linebacker, and so if he's back, you know that will that will help their defense immensely just right off the jump. So I think the advantage that Texas has to press here is their ability to to stretch the field. You mentioned Xavier Worthy. Iowa State is one of the best teams in the country in limiting explosive plays. They're only giving up um, about 1.1 points per play, which is really good, but it's a tale of two opposites where they're only giving up about 0.8 points per rush, but they're giving up 1.4, uh, 1.41 exactly, uh, points per passing play, which is a really high number. And so, and you can look at like the ways that teams exploited them. West Virginia, they, West Virginia went against trend against them. West Virginia has really been like a rushing team with Letty Brown. Cause Letty Brown is a really good running back. Um, but they went a lot of empty sets and, and got some big chunks. I think they scored at least once, if not twice off of, off of empty sets from them. And so if Texas can spread them out and force them to cover five, six guys, Iowa State doesn't necessarily have the horses to do that. Now, I don't know if Texas has five guys that you want out of the backfield. I think, uh, or you know, five five guys that you'd want uh, playing at wide receiver. I I would love to see you know Xavier Worthy, maybe Josh Moore, pending on the reports that he left the team. But then there are also conflicting reports that he was at team meetings after practice. So whatever, like we'll just go with what we know. Like Xavier Worthy, Josh Moore, maybe uh, Marcus Washington. Maybe we finally figure out where the hell Moochie Dixon has been. Something right. Um, put Kai money out there. I don't, don't put Kai money out there. Don't quote me on that. But like you have maybe Keelan Robinson who will play and run the running back and then and then motion out of the backfield with a linebacker covering him uh, and exploit that that deficiency because I think that's where if Texas you obviously want to stay balanced you don't want to let let the defense you don't want Hecock to be able to call your hand because Hecock is one of the best in the business but. If Texas can press that advantage, I think there's. I don't think there's anybody on that team that can run with Xavier Worthy step for step. I don't think there's anybody on that team that could potentially cover Keelan Robinson out of the backfield, or even Bijan Robinson out of the backfield. And so there's there's an ability there, and I think Texas to exploit the speed and just the athletes that they have. And we talked about it on Monday that like the 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 talent is there argument needs some nuance well a place where the talent is there i think is at some of the offensive skill positions and and at least in this game now if you stack them up against OU maybe then it's a different conversation but if you look at Texas comparing offensive skill position talent to Iowa State's defensive position talent when you're looking at wide receivers against secondary the the, the plate is def- the the scale is definitely tilted in Texas's be- uh, favor yeah, I agree. I don't think that you said many players on this team. I don't think there's many players in the conference. I might even extend that to com- country that can stay with Xavier Worthy step for step, right? I think um, 
you saw it in that 63 yard touchdown he had they had the misfortune of getting a safety lined up on him and it was just it was just a simple backyard pitch and catch at that point um he was just just open and, and honestly should have had another one um admittedly thompson didn't miss that throw uh was getting hit when he threw it but missed that throw to worthy that that in the second quarter that would have been a touchdown and could have changed that game whatever whatever but you know there was multiple on that one i think you know I'm not saying an OU game is on the cards every week for Worthy where he has 200 plus and three touchdowns, but you know, it's also not crazy to think that in any given game that can happen. That he can't explode for 150 plus and, and multiple touchdowns because he can do all the things you want from a receiver. Um, and, and again, that, that speed is just, you can't coach that. Um, I, I think again, what will be interesting is to see where Texas attacks uh, because Worthy's done, majority of his work on the outsides vertically he's done some across the middle uh but it looked like across the middle was an area where west virginia exploited uh with some deep ball so you know does that mean that's a Kevante dixon zone does that mean you know josh moore is gonna have a redemption game big time although moore has had a couple touchdowns consecutively but you need needing to redeem um some some negative plays as well in that in that baylor game uh does that mean you know that that they're gonna get some running backs loose in the past game baylor basically said you know you've seen quarterback spies they basically had at least one if not two guys in running back spy plays right you know we're gonna take Bijan out of the pass game we're gonna take him out of the rush game we're gonna send you know our whole defense flowing to wherever he goes so will there be more two back sets in this one where uh either they did had some success with the wildcat because of that misdirection of Bijan. they had some success with casey scrambling again because eyes are on Bijan. will there be two back sets where Bijan uh is, is heading one way and you have kind of a counter going the other way or or you know a misdirection heading the other way to roshan to keelan to to you know casey running keeping it you know it'll be interesting to see where the run game gets going because i think you're right that the pass game is an area that they can exploit but you know this is also a defense that they have Will McDonald with seven and a half sacks and and any uh, U- U- Uwazarike, I believe is how you say it. Good job. Uh, proud thank of you. you very much. I'm very proud of myself with five sacks. Um, you know, they have a majority of the team sack, but that's 12 and a half sacks from your ends right there. Um, and, and, you know, Texas is an offensive line that maybe they spent more of their XP points on, on <laughs> pass blocking lately and they haven't given up as many sacks, but to the detriment of their run blocking. But it is a line that feels you know, still slightly limited whether, you know, steps have been made uh, or not. So I worry about just saying our offense is going to be big play passing. We'll just rear back and throw it because if we had a better line, then sure, you know, let Casey try it, even though, you know, his arm, his deep ball, you know, live arm is not necessarily a strength. He's shown to be above average college quarterback at that, even without the 70 yard cannon. Um, And and so I, I, I'm, I hesitate to give up and say, and, and I, I wonder what Sark will see about just becoming a, a passing offense and assuming that what Baylor did is, is everything. I think there will be a focus on getting Bijan in the running game going, that third and sixes will be things that they can run and convert where multiple times they try, or third and fours even, and we're unable to do that against Baylor. I think they're going to really want that and need that because, like you said, you don't get one-dimensional against a coordinator as good as Heacock. And I think there's there's ways to manufacture air quotes runs without having to run into the teeth of the defense. There are ways to manufacture what a run play would do. Texas, you know, did it early in the season with jet sweeps, and they actually we saw it uh, run with Juan Davis against Baylor, and it and it mm-hmm. looked good. It looked there, and then the play kind of broke down weirdly. Or running those that that quick wide receiver screen that Xavier Worthy scored on the first play of the game against OU. Those aren't your traditional run plays, but they put you in a position to create the run, the air quotes run style, um, short yardage situations and maximize on, I think where your talent advantage is for the year. Do we, what else do we want to hit before special teams? Cause special teams is going to be a fun conversation. What else do we need to get into? The only thing is, is when you talk about passing seven interceptions for this team and, and Casey, who, you know, even on his best day, always seems to have one ball that could be an interception in him. Uh, I think that's just you take it for what it is. Um, and so that's something to watch, right? If you if you are passing 30 times in this game, is is one of those going to be to the other team? And, and it is that because Casey's getting rocked while he's throwing it also. <laughs> but uh, just just that's the probably the last thing to hit on is that in addition to getting some good pressure and getting getting sacks, they uh, they also you know do have and no one player they have kind of I think six guys with interceptions, one player with two, um, but just you know a lot of people who have got their hands on balls this season. I'm just going to leave that there. Special teams. 
where these games seem to be won and lost, specifically the Baylor game. Baylor absolutely should not have won that game, but special teams bit them in the keister. Kyle, I want to ask you, where would you say, just take a, take a guess, there are 132 FBS teams in the country. Where would you say that Iowa State's special teams efficiency rating was? Who they are definitely sub one hundred. One eleven. Ooh, close one thirteen. They are in the negatives Ooh. overall. They're in the negatives in both kicking and punting and uh, field. They're the only positive ones they have are field goals. The only mm. positive uh, special teams efficiency metrics they have, but. I don't know if everybody knows this. We made jokes about it when they lost the Baylor game, but Iowa State doesn't have a special teams coordinator. They don't mm-hmm. they don't have a Jeff Banks, regardless of how you feel about <laughs> monkeys and haunted houses. But Jeff Banks that is, has, that's a, a bananas decision. It's a it is a wild life ranch decision to not have a special teams coordinator. Uh, and it's shown. Again, they lost the Baylor game. Um, they're not necessarily a good special teams team outside of whoever is kicking the ball. Yeah, you could talk about literally any specific unit that you want. 33 yards per net punt ain't great. Uh, their their boy Mevis, who's their kickoff specialist, took over punting duties out of the uh, out of the bye week. So I went back and looked at him specifically thinking, okay, they probably jumped 10 some odd yards. No, he actually has a slightly less yards per punt. I think he's just more consistent uh, with what he's doing. He's a super senior transfer from Fordham. Uh, he also has taken over kicking duties where again, you said they're pretty good. Uh, Connor ass alley, our boy was four for four, but Mevis is, is, is now, um, I think what? 12 for 14, something like that. Uh, so good. They're both good. They've hit 16 out of 18. They're good. And that's part of Matt Campbell's efficiency. You get your points because you, you know, even if it's a field goal, you drive down, you take the points. Um, but you know, the fact that they, one of their losses is explicitly, and I don't know how many times we've said in the podcast, but let's say it one more time, a game where they outgained Baylor by 200 yards. They won the penalty battle by a hundred yards. They, they won the turnover battle. And they still lost, and that was purely because of those hidden yards uh, in special teams. A, a blocked uh, punt, I believe, either a blocked field goal or punt. Either way, a blocked kick and a return touchdown and another key punt return to set up points. I mean, basically just that, yeah, that's what did it. Um, so I do feel like Texas has a chance here. Cameron Dicker obviously does a lot for us, but, you know, in the return game, uh, they, they may choose to just not let, you know, our returners and maybe because the 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 net punt is is also due to the fact they don't punt it real long um so you have to be long enough that you know jameson can actually get something going and you know he wants it badly uh to add to that career touchdown total or you know again just get another one he had one what he went out on the four uh got pushed out so and another one called back from the first game of the season so you know to vindicate coach banks uh, and the special teams, you know, they're going to be looking to return one, um, you know, whether they will get a chance or not will be interesting. Like I said, I think, I think the kicking game is about equal since changing holders. Dicker hasn't missed a field goal. So that's great. Um, you know, Dicker did have the, the, the fake punt and, and, Sark took responsibility, said they saw something in a previous, you know, uh, play that would have set up perfectly, but Baylor switched up their punt coverage on that one, you know, and so I don't think you need to ask him to, to do that, but if he's just punting, he's been great at that, um, you know, kickoffs, they've been, they've been pretty good. So I, I think this is an advantage UT. I'm not saying we have to have a Baylor like game where we just do all these crazy things, but I, I also could see this being, the type of game. If you remember, Jamison won basically an Oklahoma State game with a return, and then went and shushed the uh, the Oklahoma State fans with a with a finger to the lips. It cost him 15 yards um, because it's you know I guess uh, like a horns down, but upwards. I don't know. Um, it cost him 15 yards for the celebration, but nonetheless turned the game. I could also see him going into a, a crazy uh, Ames student section that that will be will be lively for this one uh, and, and having a similar impact. So I, I like special teams as an area of, of, of winning potential for Texas. Absolutely. And I'm curious to see if it's like a situation where they sacrifice a little bit of field position to keep the ball out of, of Jameson yeah. and Worthy's hands where they're just going to sky some punts. They're going to – and I, I don't – 
I don't know how you do that on a kickoff. I don't, you know, other, other, if you don't have the boot to put it out of the back of the right. end zone, then there's not necessarily a way to do that. But I think on punts, if they have to punt, I imagine seeing that ball go pretty high, but not very far to Mac to to minimize the impact that Jamison and or Worthy or whoever's back there can have returning the ball. So Kyle, it's that time. Pod Stradamus predictions. What are your Pod Stradamus predictions? Just to catch everybody up with. Four regular season games left. Kyle currently leads Podstradamus 12 to 9. So they're still within striking distance, but we need some help. What's your first Podstradamus prediction, Kyle Carpenter? Gerald, I don't know if this one will help you because I feel pretty good about this one, but we talked a lot about it and it just left an awful taste in my mouth. We know the Heisman campaign is over. We know we don't have enough wins for it to be feasible. A running back was always tough. But Doak Walker is still realistic for Bijan. It's easy because the past couple games have been tough for him to forget just how good he is when he gets going and how good he was in the the beginning of the season. But I I don't think he's going to have a, you know, two point something yards per carry in consecutive games. I just don't think no matter what the line or the defense does, you can bottle him up. So I think Bijan gets back moving, whether it's in, in the rushing game or catching some passes, getting moved out. Uh, some screens, you know, uh, they, they try to get the motion out and, and, and uh, bubble screen effectively with receivers blocking for him behind, hopefully Marcus Washington is our key blocker there. Uh, but I think uh, Bijan gets back going, gets 125 all-purpose yards in this one, um, gets back in the triple digits. Good chance that even in a slow game with not a ton of possessions, uh, that, that he has one particular play that's a bunch of those yards. And, I, and I, I'm looking for an explosive play from Bijan, but my prediction is 125 from the star running back. Okay, I'll take it. I will absolutely take it. So um, if that happens, again, I think Texas is having a really good game. So Xavier Worthy is at 657 yards for the year. He's actually on pace to have the most productive freshman season as far as yardage goes and he also uh it would be i think he's uh Roy Williams had 809 Xavier Worthy is currently sitting at I believe I said 657 so he's you know what 152 yards away from from breaking that record I don't know if he goes if he I don't think he does it against Iowa State, but I think Xavier Worthy walks away with at least 100 yards and a touchdown against Iowa State. That's probably too too specific, and he'll get one but not the other, but I already said it, so we got to rock with it. Gerald, here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to go, and because you put a touchdown on yours, I will add Bijan, live edit coming here in the Potsdamas, I will add two Bijan's 125 that he will also have, 125 and a touchdown, because Brees Hall ain't the only one with a touchdown streak. I like it. I appreciate your generosity, Kyle. Let's even the playing field, and let's go with it. All right. What's your second Potsdamas pick? Look, Brock Purdy, Brocktober, we saw it. The guy went... A lot of passes, not a lot of interceptions. He threw three against Iowa, has only thrown one the rest of the season. Well, we saw a quarterback against Baylor who only threw one interception coming into that game, and you got ahead of me and, and got the Jerry Bohannon was going to throw interceptions uh, prediction in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock it in here first. Brock Purdy, though he hasn't uh, had a bad Brock game, will have at least one interception uh, in, in this game, and uh, – Man, I even feel like this might be back to back two interception games, but I can't. I can't predict it. I, I just. I can't. I'm going to say Brock Purdy, uh, at least one int. Oh, like I like it. I like it. I like it. So I'm going to go with an old one that usually bites me in the keister, but I feel good about it. I think Texas pops a receipt or a return touchdown against. Iowa State. This is the one that I feel pretty solid. I don't know if it's a punt return, if it's a kick return. I'm going to claim a fumble return as well for this, maybe even an interception return for a touchdown. I think Texas has a non-offensive touchdown probably in the special teams return realm is where I want to go with. So, recap. Kyle says Bijan goes for a buck 25 and a score and that Brock Purdy will at least 
throw one interception. I say Xavier Worthy goes for 100 and a touchdown, and Texas has some sort of return touchdown. So we will be back on Saturday, followed a bit of late. It'll be a late live stream because this one's on FS1, so they threw us up a night game. Thanks for the bone. We appreciate it, Fox Sports. So we'll catch you after the game for our post-game live stream, and we will be back on Tuesday to break down the game in full. Quick update. We we talked about it uh, briefly and in passing on the Tuesday show, but final score from that basketball scrimmage, 96 to 33. It was a really impressive outing. Again, TLU is nowhere near the level that Texas will be playing in the Big 12, but they did what you're supposed to do against teams that aren't on your level, and that's absolutely scored three times the points that uh, TLU was able to put up. It was a it was a really solid showing from the offense, and I think it gives us a little bit of insight into how and what Chris Beard is going to do with the talent he's assembled. Yeah, and, and there is a lot of talent, and I think a scrimmage is not the best way to understand how those minutes are going to be delineated, of course, but you did see that basically guys are just – it's almost like hockey substitutions, just coming off the bench, flying in, another guy in. And, and you saw – we saw it from Vic Schaefer's team early in the year – they are going to put defensive pressure. There's going to be really good teams that you know use that against Texas, of course, but against teams that they have at least as much talent or more talent than, it's going to be an absolute nightmare. Even Marcus Carr, a guy I was really watching closely to see, would he be playing that level of defense? Would he buy in? Because he was pretty much a scoring point guard at Minnesota, but again, Minnesota was a tough team to to you know get it on both ends of the court to be the primary score everything. But he passed the ball a ton. Didn't. I think he only took three shots, uh, was just a, a ravenous defender at that point guard position, which Beard's defense really loves a kind of a, a point of the spear uh, point guard ball defender. So, you know, love to see that from, from Marcus Carr. He's plus 44 in this one, which is hard to even contemplate, but that's a really good number. Um, it's a big number. It's very good. Andrew Jones had five steals. Christian Bishop had four steals. I mean, you really just, you, you like to see the tenacity uh, that, that, guys had obviously Brock just popped up and, and did the Brock Cunningham things in certain plays I mean their steals led directly to fast breaks and even though this was a d3 opponent and I'm not saying it will play an opponent even with our bad opponents that are you know d3 level as, as TLU was and, and credit to Wacker he never stopped smiling just to be honored and to be in kudos to, to Beard for honoring Wacker and making this unite the family thing uh, I just thought it was really cool but uh, even though they will will play better teams I think the fact that they're they're Defense led to offense will be a theme this year. 28 of their 40 field goals in this one were dunks or layups. A lot of that was transition plays. I mean, a lot, a lot of that was good offense getting, you know, getting guys and backdoor cuts and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just really good. Trey, Trey Mitchell, as we as we thought, is a good scorer from all three levels. Timmy Allen, a really efficient, just great 15 points, five rebounds, three steals. Jalen Tyson, the freshman, ran a lot with the second unit and was just so clearly above every player on the court. Just you can see that talent there is an inside-outside guy. Just looks really interesting. So um, all in all, a great first scrimmage. Everything that you wanted it to be, right? Texas A&M scrimmage someone. I think it was like A&M Kingsville or, or you know, a D3 opponent in their system and won by like three points so you know that the only downside to this is is if you know you don't blow someone out so texas did what they needed to we don't we can't tell the whole season from this but a great first look at all these new guys at chris beard system and all of this and we'll have plenty more because this is obviously a basketball school now so we will talk uh at length about both our, our basketball teams on this podcast we will see a ton of it. And if you didn't watch the post game from Mike Wacker, it's incredible stuff. It's out there on the internet. Um, just search for Mike Wacker post game on Twitter and the video will come up. But just incredible stuff. Incredible man. I love, I love, loved hearing that. All right, Jared, let's take a look at uh, the rest of the world. We'll go quickly through this burn orange lenses since we did our Monday podcast. Continue a couple uh, award season. Some awards continued from Monday that came out after, uh, or I guess Tuesday release of that podcast. First, we talked a lot about him. Gerald Potsdamus about him. Xavier Worthy. Xavier Worthy added to the Bolitnikov watch list. Um, I think this is our first uh, player on the watch list since 2019 when both Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay were added uh, to that. So uh, love to see it. Uh, he leads all FBS freshmen right now with in almost every stat. And, and you know, I think his, his yards per catch is like top 10 in the country for any year. I mean, he's just – he's legitimately a really good receiver in an offense that, you know, to be a great receiver on, an, on a team that 
is identifiably the offensive line is your biggest weakness is saying something. So good on you, kid. We talked about it in the post game, which didn't make it on the podcast feed because Kyle was in the mountains. But like, I I just feel bad. Like, I said we're squandering a, a great season from Xavier Worthy. I just like, what would this kid be doing if if Casey Thompson had time to put the ball on him? Like, what what would that world be like? I was talking to, to Parker Stats of War on Twitter today about the same situation in uh, Fort Worth with Quentin Johnston, who should be in Myrtle Orange, but that's a separate conversation. Whatever, Tom Herman is still blaming me for that. But like. If these kids had the supporting staff around them, what would they be like? And so hopefully we could see that within the next couple of years. It's only just begun. Famous song by the Carpenters. <laughs> uh, Luke Brockermeyer was nominated for the Burlesworth Trophy, which uh, easy to say, easier to root for the uh, trophy for the win. nation's best. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The trophy for the nation's uh, best player who started as a walk-on. This was UT's first time nominated. I don't know actually when they started this trophy because even say what you will about you know the ball just finding it its way into your hands despite your best efforts. Dylan Haynes probably should have been at least nominated for this. Uh, but uh, Brockermeyer guy, you know the name, but started as a tight end on this roster originally. Um, it, you know, and now is our starting middle linebacker. Fifty nine tackles, two interceptions, half a sack. He's tied for the team lead with five tackles for loss. Really, is the 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 feel good story of Texas football this season and in the past few years. You know, I, this is worthwhile. There's uh, I think a Stoops who got nominated for this from OU. So hopefully Brockermeyer can win this. But uh, yeah, there's uh, I'm curious. This is a this is a fun one to look at the stats and see uh, because uh, it, you know it, it's not often that these guys get the limelight. So you love love this award award specifically. The Burlesworth Trophy was established in 20. 20- 10. It seems to go to a lot to offensive players. There's only been one defensive player that won it. Ah. That was Kenny Wilkes. Will Will Willicky, I don't know how to say Kenny W from Michigan State. He's now playing <laughs> in the uh in the NFL for the Vikings. I think he's a defensive end for them. Baker Mayfield won it twice because, well, he was technically yeah. a walk-on and then won the Heisman. So like that's a thing. Uh but like for all of the you know, there there is we've had conversations about the need for athleticism at linebacker, but like Luke Brockermeyer is a locker room guy and he's a guy who gives his heart to this program. And so regardless of whether or not like the on field production is there, you still have to respect the guy um, for, for grinding it out, going to like, that's, that is what, that is what sports are all about. It's like, this is my dream and I'm going to work my tail off to get it. And he was rewarded for that. And so regardless of whatever you think about his play on the field, like you got to respect the grind and respect the man who is able to do that. On the field, he's Luke Brockermeyer and Moncrief. He's Brooke Locker Room Meyer. So uh, moving, <laughs> that was terrible. it's terrible. It's really bad. Uh, <laughs> moving on to soccer, who uh, again takes on uh, West Virginia uh, here at the end of the week uh, in the Big Twelve Championship. But some award season came out. Uh, Big Twelve first team had three players on it, uh, including two of our star freshmen, Lexi uh, Massimo, Trinity Byers, and uh, Olympic gold medalist Julia Grasso. Come on with it. Um, <laughs> also, Gerald's favorite uh, player, Savannah Madden, uh, MJ Cox, and Emma Reagan, uh, another Canadian and Emma Reagan there who moved from center back to kind of holding midfielder and, and you know, is a big part of why that defense, you know, pitched shutout streaks for so long and was really great, all named uh, to the second team. I mean, from where Texas soccer was like year to year from last year, last year was a real struggle year to now have that many players named to the big 12. You have three on the first team. Uh, you've got six overall, and then you've got a, a freshman year. It's amazing what young talent can do to a roster. And, and again, um, the, it's going to be interesting to see what they do after, after Savannah Madden uh, goes, who, what the next keeper looks like. Cause she's been a stud for that team, but um, it's glad to see them being honored for what has been an, an incredible turnaround season. And still continuing on. Let's take a quick look just around the Big 12. I won't go uh, too in-depth this week, but uh, we got to start it right off the top. So we play Kansas State in a couple weeks, and if we somehow lose to them, I I think the now-documented precedent is that we have to fire our coach because (laughs) uh, Kansas State has beaten two teams the past two weeks, and they have both fired their their coaches, Matt Wells, and not to bury the lead, Gary Stinkin' Patterson, the man with the statue outside of the stadium in Fort Worth, no longer the head coach at TCU after falling to Kansas State. I mean, Kansas State is is just murdering coaches left and right this year. Um, it's it's 
the Gary Patterson era at TCU is a weird one where Gary Patterson built them to the standards to which he could no longer meet. And so it's tough to see that because for like 17 of 21 years, they were excellent and incredible. And then the last four, the wheels kind of just fell off. And there's a lot of conversation to be had about, you know, SMU really dipped into a lot of the under-recruited Dallas kids that they really made their yeah. money on. In um, in Patterson, for what it's worth, seemed to like not be as open to evolving and giving up as much control as he probably should have. But like, there's there, Gary Patterson is the reason that TCU moved up conference levels not once but twice uh, in the football realm. And so, like, regardless of your and even like my personal feelings about Gary Patterson, like the the man's a legend in the coaching world, and I think um, it's it's weird to see. And that situation was weird because apparently they offered him like, yeah, you can stay on through the end of the year, and then. Um, you move into an administrative role next year. You said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm just out. And so like, that's a weird way for it to end, but like, it doesn't overshadow the, the two decades of work that he's done there. Yeah. And, and our good friend, Melissa Trebowasser came on the podcast and said, there's two people there's, there's Gary and there's coach P. And uh, I think the now nah, I'm good was very much coach P because I'll say it. We said a lot of nice things about him. Coach P is kind of awful, right? He kind of stinks. Um, he's kind of a jerk. He says some slightly problematic things about players and specifically players of color. And so um, I think it's better for football in general if those people just are retired and forced out and never come back. But to his credit, you know, um, as a successful coach and presumably as Gary now uh, hit country recording artist uh you know i hope he has more time to do that and blossoms and shows that side which people say when you get to know that side he's he's an okay guy so um you know good for gary uh enjoy your 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 time and your years and again you've already started your second career so i expect to see some great country music uh coming out of fort worth so a surprise one after should have beating I think is the way you would say that Oklahoma, the other team from Oklahoma, came in and just dominated uh, Kansas. Obviously not a surprise. Oklahoma State beat Kansas. Uh, but the, the the surprise here is that while Oklahoma struggled and, and maybe cheated to, to win that game, Oklahoma State beat them by 50 points. Um, uh, Gerald, was this just KU playing all their magic or, or, or Oklahoma State wanting a statement game after, you know, the shine came off the apple a little bit? What would you think of that one? I don't know if I have a ton of thoughts. Like, it's fair. <laughs> um, this last weekend was a bit of a fog for me after the game. I kind of just tuned out everything uh, football okay. related. But uh, Oklahoma State, like the o the OU game against KU, is a bit of an aberration. I think you know Caleb Williams feasts off of fifty fifty balls and being able to win those, and so Oklahoma State doesn't do that. Um, they they they're not going to be the the high risk high reward team. That's just not who Gundy is, and they did that to the the tune of just running it down their throats. Yeah, and and the the interesting thing in this one was Oklahoma State let um, three different quarterbacks throw the ball. Uh, Shane Ellingsworth, who is their backup, threw it ten times and two touchdowns. Even Ethan Bullock, who got in the third string guy, threw it three times. I guess you know, just really want to work on the passing game. Even when you're up 40 some odd points again, another guy who's actually a jerk is Mike Gundy. He didn't have to run it up, but there you go. Anyways, uh, West Virginia as, as we mentioned, beat Iowa state. It was 38 to 31 was the final score in that one. Again, um, big passing plays. We, we, we pretty much broke it down. I don't think we need to add anything here, but the, uh, the final beat down here came from, uh, Oklahoma against interim head coach, Sonny Cumbie with Matt Wells fired. Um, Columbia looked a little flawed in this one, you know, kind of why he didn't win the starting job outright after shining some in Texas. And even though their team struggled having some, some, some elite throws in his bag, this one looks a little more crashed to earth credit, maybe to OU's defense credit, maybe to Caleb Williams. This looked like what we saw a second half against Texas. Caleb Williams led OU team. Um, they, they really hadn't stomped a mud hole in anyone since Spencer Atler was there and they played Southeast Western Northern uh, Missouri. So, uh, you know, I guess good for them right before the playoff rankings come out. The playoff rankings are going to work themselves out. The, the big 12 <laughs> got overrated to allow OU to beat win those two games and then jump up to four in the last week is what's going to happen. Um, OU's, OU's fine. They've been booty all most of the year, and they'll they'll be fine. They'll, if they went out, they'll make it in. I don't think we need to worry about anything, but it's it's fine. 
one final mark on playoff rankings, and I will speed us up because we're going long here, that uh, UTSA, and I said that correctly, not USTA, the United States Tennis Association, um, the UTSA did not make the playoff rankings. It is yet another way that Coach Jeff Trailer got bulletin board material to make his team feel like a slighted um, underdog. And uh, he's been tweeting out as an undercover meme lord uh, <laughs> photoshops of his players on tennis players' bodies, and it's killing me. It's cracking me up on Twitter. If you're not following former UT coach, all around beloved human being Jeff Trailer in the Meep Meep Nation, you got you got to remedy that and, and get on there. If you're not supporting UTSA, what's wrong with you? Unless you're a Agreed. UTEP fan, and then you can support UTEP. But, like, if you're not That's supporting fair. UTSA, come on, support the system. That's right. A lot of Clemens kids there. Um, I'm just going to run really quickly, really, really quickly through the NFL because, Gerald, uh, I wanted to do a quick a quick trivia for you. Do you know who the leading receiver in, in terms of catches uh, was for UT this week? Four catches, one touchdown. Uh, Quandre Diggs. <laughs> Jeff's, <laughs> I like it. Jeff Swain, Mar- uh, Marquise Goodwin was the leader with 32 yards, but Jeff Swain, baby, four catches and a touchdown. Pick him up on on your fantasy teams. Jordan Hicks had 12 tackles, one tackle for loss. Quandre, I wanted to give him a little bit of shout. He had an interception in this one to go with uh, a couple tackles in the pass breakups. Only NFL player with at least three interceptions in each of the past five seasons. Truly a giant. Um, it. Big Malcolm Brown, five tackles. A little Malcolm Brown went on the IR, so tough uh, divergence there um, for the two uh, Malcolms. Um, your boy Brandon Jones, five tackles, two quarterback Curry's tackle for loss. Hassan Ridgeway, don't get to call his name, had a sack and a forced fumble. Chuck Amenahu, no longer a Houston Texan, traded to the San Francisco 49ers, so we'll have to a different team to root him on. And then Adrian Phillips did deserve his own section as the Longhorn of the week. Three tackles, two interceptions. One of those returned for a touchdown, two pass breakups, one quarterback hurry, and again accounted for six points on that interception in a game that his team won 27-24 to against his former team who let him go. So Adrian Phillips, petty master, just, just coming through clutch, and I love it. All right, final thing, NBA Longhorns, LaMarcus Aldridge became the 48th player to score 20,000 career NBA points. You love to see it. Just very proud of LaMarcus, all the things he's gone through. Let's wrap it up, Gerald, with a bit of Godzilla-tron. Uh, so been doing more streaming this last week. Um, I am picking back up. My wife and I are rewatching Happy Endings. If you haven't watched Happy Endings, it's a two-season sitcom on, I think it's on Netflix or Hulu or one of those two. Um like give it like three episodes and then it gets really funny. It's got, it's kind of a sillier friends is the way to put it. Like, I don't, it's just like, hmm. it, it, it's like they, they advanced the friends formula, like 20 years and or, in, in, 10 years. And then um, ran with it. So I really enjoyed it. I really like, I really like the, the couple, the, 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 the couplings and, and the comedy and the timing is just like perfect for me. And then my wife and I were not big horror movie people, um, but we heard that our horror, anything people, um, but <laughs> midnight mass on Netflix is something that, my wife and I are kind of taking a slow drip and we're about halfway through it. And um, the reason why we dove into it is because it is, I I like things in genre, whether it's sci-fi fantasy horror, I guess in this case that are like having a conversation about bigger social things that I'm interested in. And midnight mass is, is a, is um, a conversation about like people misusing faith to, to, um, take advantage of people and so Mm. like that to me is an interesting conversation and the way that they're using kind of the horror tropes to do that is really interesting and i like the questions that i'm having like i'm asking myself about my own you know personality and my own faith and my own journey while watching it um and so it's been a really interesting watch for me again and it's not like scary throughout they do the tv thing where it's like it's mostly character stuff for 40 minutes in the last 10 minutes it's like Scary stuff and cliffhanger keeps keep binging. Uh, so uh, that's kind of the formula they use. Matt Saracen is one of the leads in it. So um, it's it's not for the faint of heart. It is um, it opens very gruesomely and continues to be not necessarily a faint of heart watch throughout. But um, I like the conversation that that I am having with myself while watching it, just about like who I am and who I want to be. And so that's why I wanted to mention. It. It's not normally the type of thing that I would bring up here. Very interesting. I am. Zero percent horror. I watch nothing scary. Trying to keep it suspenseful. I watch UT football. I guess that's the closest thing. <laughs> scary to, enough to to score <laughs> horror and suspense. But uh, yeah, I, I basically have been watching the Astros. Uh, you know, sad sad season. Congrats, I guess, to the to the Braves. It was 
par for the course. My sports teams right now are not necessarily flourishing, unless it's non-football UT sports. Maybe the best of the bunch is the Spurs. They have a, a really fun, almost like a Euro League roster with like seven or eight guys who can score 15 on any given night, and, and you never know how they're going to come at you without a superstar uh, singular player. But anyways, um, I've just been watching some of, some of that, catching some Astros uh, painfully. Uh, good effort, but we'll see how the team goes forward. What I did want to talk about here was a show I don't know if I mentioned since we've done this Godzilla-tron segment, but one of my favorite shows, certainly one of my wife's favorite um, shows and sitcoms, one, one of the best sitcoms on TV, uh, Insecure. It comes on HBO, uh, made by Issa Rae. Um, it just tells a specific experience in a specific place. Really, uh, if you have any connection to L.A., you will love the L.A. of it all. Uh, if you you know are curious about kind of the world of a 20 to 30 something uh, black woman and it's told incredibly well and, and just incredibly like hilariously um, as a young person who doesn't have it all put together this is your show as a person who has had issues with friends and relationships and the world not being the um, perfect sitcom or or you know fantasy novel that you thought it would be um, and still kind of making the best of it, this is the show for you. I mean, it, you want to see some of the like most beautiful cinematography shots of humans and cities and just cool things. This is really, really, really well made um, and, and sharply well written by uh, some really experienced comedy writers. I mean, it just has everything. And this is the final season. If you haven't seen Insecure, uh, I believe this is the fourth or fifth. Either way, it's the final season and they're not coming back for any more. So I wish this would go for eight or ten years, but I understand um, Issa Rae, the creator, is just a... a tour de force who's who's you know you may have seen her at some award speeches where she's gone viral just an incredibly hilarious and and underrated underexposed person so i'm glad she's going to create some new stuff and continue on to do great things and i get why you have to wrap it up but if you haven't seen insecure take some time binge it go all the way back to season one watch all of it just a really really interesting unique singular show that there's not enough of um not enough shows made for mainstream audiences that that, that show um, a heavily African-American cast that show a black female point of view. Um, and, and again, she's also, it's a hilarious comedy, just, just point blank. So a really interesting and unique show I can't recommend highly enough that everyone check out. I love it. You should definitely check it out. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pre-Gamer at Texas Pre-Gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod on Twitter as well. Facebook and Instagram, we're the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Remember, we'll be back Saturday following the game. It'll probably be a late one after the kids' bedtime. But check us out reacting to the Iowa State game. Hopefully we end our nights well. But thank you so much for tuning in again. And until next time, welcome. Hook 'em, no more monkey business.